Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of Fibber McGee and Molly called Missing Shirt Button. It first aired on January 24th, 1939. The Johnson Wax Program. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Company with Jim Jordan as Fibber, Donald Novus, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with There's a New Sun in the Sky. Modern housewives have a much easier time of it than your grandmothers did. Nowadays, it's no trick at all to keep your floors and linoleum clean and shining with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. This remarkable polish relieves you forever from tiresome floor scrubbing because it protects your floors with a beautiful, dirt-resistant polish. Glow coat, you know, requires no rubbing or buffing. Dries in 20 minutes to a gleaming luster that shuts out dirt and stains. Millions of women can testify that their housework is easier and their floors more attractive since they learned about Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Once you start using glow coat, you'll never again have to apologize for dull, soiled floors or faded linoleum. Ask your dealer tomorrow for glow coat, G-L-O hyphen C-O-A-T, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. You're assured of complete satisfaction if you insist on the real thing. out into society tonight to a dinner at the Uppington Mansion among Wistful Vista's best people. However, society doesn't frighten him. After all, says he, what is the upper crust but a bunch of crumbs who stick together? <laughs> so here, all dressed up in his best clothes, we find... Hey, Harpo, hold it. Hey. What's the matter, Pepper? Easy on that party announcement. I may not be able to go. Well, what happened? Why can't you go? The button just came off the collar of my shirt. You got a needle and thread? No, I'm sorry. I left my sewing basket home on the piano. <laughs> I can't go around like this with a nude neck. Well, why don't you keep your muffler on? You can wrap that around your neck sort of in the ascot style, you know. I've seen Jack Benny wear his scarf like that. <laughs> That's okay for him, but I ain't got any Fred Allen reaching for my throat. <laughs> Somebody around here ought to have a needle and thread, or at least a pin. Hey, Billy. Yes? Say, I just busted the button off the collar of my shirt. I, I can't go around with my Adam's apple sticking out like that. Oh, is that your Adam's apple? Well, what'd you think it was? Well, I thought maybe it was a lump in your throat. You know, from reading the reviews of your personal appearances. Oh. Oh. Well, they don't bother me, Mr. Mills. Anyway, no theater's lost money booking my act. I don't care what the critics say about me as long as I take in the money. You're the third person I know who said that. Who's the other two? Jesse James and John Gillinger. <laughs> Why, they were public enemies. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> now that you've given me the needle, you never mind the thread, Billy. You got a magnifying glass, Mill? No, what do you want a magnifying glass for? I want to go over your contract again more carefully. 
Dad dreaded. Ain't anybody got a needle and thread? Hey, Don. What's the matter, Fibber? Listen, Don. Hey, I... there's a button off your shirt. <laughs> well, thanks, Don. <laughs> At least there's one guy in this outfit that notices things. You got a safety pin, Don? Yes, but, but I can't spare it. <laughs> why not? Haven't you heard? What? Why not? Heard what? Here, let me whisper. My wife. <laughs> no. When? Early this summer. So you see, we'll need all the safety pins we have. <laughs> oh, gee, that's wonderful, Don. Uh, hadn't you better sit down, Don? Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of take it easy till your next number? No, I, I feel all right, thanks. <laughs> so that's what you and your wife were talking about when I went past your window early this morning. I seen the light in there. <laughs> Ah, me. Two slap-happy people by Don's early life. <laughs> oh, don't, don't say anything about it, will you? Oh, no, Don. You can trust me. But say, you know where I can find a needle? No, I don't. I don't even know where there's a haystack. Say, oh, <laughs> Fibber, speaking of haystacks, I heard a funny one yesterday. What was that, Harpo? I heard a farmer say that he had a radio in his barn, but he had to shut it off on Tuesday night. What for? He said too much corn was bad for the livestock. <laughs> That's so. Uh, criticizing again, eh? Well, if it'll make it any easier for you guys to push me around, I'll come down next week in a wheelchair. Dad, Braddett, I gotta find a needle and thread somewhere. Oh, there's a smart-looking girl. Maybe she's got one. Hey, sis, excuse me, but have you got a needle and thread? No, I haven't. I'm so sorry. Oh, well, don't look so worried about it. I'll get the shirt fixed someplace. Oh, I'm not worried about that. I have other trouble. Oh, that's too bad. Anything I can do? Do you know anything about baseball? Do I? Why, I coached the House of David team for 12 years. <laughs> I gave it up, though. I got tired of the Bush League. <laughs> Why, Jack, sis? Well, an old friend of my family just left me an interest in a baseball team, and I don't know anything about baseball. Oh, are you that gal? You were an actress, weren't you? I was. Oh, but I'm so anxious to learn about baseball. Yeah, I suppose you think a double play is a six-hour show by Eugene O'Neill, huh? Uh, tell me, do you think it would be a cute idea if my team changed costumes between these acts? <laughs> they call them innings in baseball, so it's not acts. Where's your team now? Oh, they're in Florida for spring rehearsal. <laughs> spring training. But you don't have to worry. you got the best team in the country, sir. Oh, do you think so? Well, have we a chance to win the Pulitzer Prize again this year? You mean the pennant, sis. And if you're considering getting Alfred Lunt for shortstop or Catherine Cornell for third base, don't do it. Uh, how about Noel Coward? <laughs> That's a good idea, sis. He could write you a few hits. Well, good luck, sis. Thank you, and I hope you'll come to see one of our performances. Oh, I will. I'll be at the first matinee. And now, folks, if anybody here has got a needle and thread, I'd like to get this... Hey, where is it? Hey, wait a minute. What goes on? Get that bull out of here. What do you think this is, a rodeo? Oh, I'm horribly sorry, Mr. McGee. <laughs> but we just couldn't keep him out of here. I think he smelled Mr. Mill's buttonhole corsage. See, he's sniffing it. Get that fruit away from me. Take him away. <laughs> moo! And I do mean moo. <laughs> Oh, a bull fiddler. Ferdinand, Ferdinand, please behave yourself. Oh, so that's Ferdinand. <laughs> the lace curtain longhorn. Oh, there one. 
just a full of magnificent bull in a pasture near old Barcelona. He dropped and he swayed through the flowers all day till he smelled just like Ole Colonna. He was gentle and kind and his moo was refined. The rest of the bulls all resented. When he starts to moo in a moment or two, he'd have all the cows discontented. No, for those bull numbers, I use stock arrangements. <laughs> Got your shirt fixed yet? No, I ain't. I gotta get it fixed someplace. Too. Hello there, Johnny! How you fix the Valentine? <laughs> A little early to be selling Valentine's, old timer, ain't it? Hey! I says, drop in about the tenth of the month with your Valentine's. I'll tell my secretary I'm expecting a heart attack. <laughs> Johnny, but that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, one fella says to the other fella, See, says, I see where Kaiser Wilhelm will be an octogenarian next Friday. Octogenarian, eh, says tell a fella, Well, any man as old as he is hadn't ought to eat meat anyway. <laughs> uh, he sure has been leading a quiet life, Johnny. Been in Holland 20 years, and nothing's turned up but the end of his mustache. <laughs> that old buzzard horning in here like that. <laughs> oh, still, he might be worth cultivating if we could get enough dirt on him. Hey, Harpo. Yes? You got a shirt I can borrow. I can't go around with my collar open like this all the time. What size shirt do you wear? 14. Oh, I didn't mean the cuff. I meant the neck. <laughs> That's it, 14. Uh, I'm sorry. I wear a 17 and a half. Seventeen and a half. Wow. That ain't a shirt. That's a step-in. <laughs> what sleeve length? Which sleeve? Well, are they different? Oh, sure. My right arm has developed more than the left. Oh, is that so? Sure. You see, I use my right arm to knock on doors with. And when the lady of the house comes to the door, I say, Madam, do you know about Johnson's glow coat, the easy-to-use floor polish that shines as it dries? And she says, do you mean the Johnson's glow coat that requires no rubbing or buffing? Oh, that's wonderful. And what do you say? And I say, I say, yes, madam, we are both talking about the same wonderful product that saves you housewives so much time and effort. And she says, to say nothing of saving up to a third on the large size can. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? 
And then? And then we smile at each other, and I go to the next door. Oh, well. But what's that got to do with your one shirt sleeve being longer than the other? Well, personally, I always put it down to the long arm of coincidence. Oh, dear. Okay, Harpo, is there a men's furnishing store near here? Sure, four blocks south. But say, is the shirt you have on the only one you own? Now, that's a fine question to ask me with everybody listening. Of course it ain't the only shirt I own. My other one's in the laundry. <laughs> hey, that's an idea. I'll run down to the laundry and see if I can find... Oh, Mr. McGee, now what is this I heard about you not coming to my party tonight? Just because you lost a button off your shirt? <laughs> it's true, Uppy. It's sad, but true. Oh, but Mr. McGee, you must come. Oh, really, it will do so much for you socially. Why, I've invited the cream of society. Oh, is that so? Well, watch them curdle when they see me with my shirt on. <laughs> oh, but I've even arranged for you to take Mrs. Morganwell's sterling game into dinner. No. Yes, yes, yes. The Mrs. Morganwell's sterling oh, game. Well, well, well. Yes, she's very social. <laughs> One of the FSDs, you know. FSDs? Yes. One of the first families of Virginia. Oh, is that so? I'm a FFP myself. FFP? Yeah, fugitive from Peoria. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Uppy. It was nice of you to invite me, but with my collar the way it oh, is, I... Oh, now, Mr. McGee. Oh, really, I had so hoped you would come. Of course, if you're the least bit apprehensive about the uh, etiquette of formal games... Oh, don't worry about my etiquette, Uppy. I know my way around. (laughs) Though there was a time when it used to worry me to pieces, wondering which was the proper fork to use. (laughs) Oh, Mr. McGee, really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I... (laughs) But I got that licked. (laughs) Now I just pick out one knife, one fork, and one spoon and shove the rest of the tools in my pocket till after this. (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, my, how original. (laughs) You put the extra silver in your pocket. (laughs) How very delightful. (laughs) Tell me, Mr. McGee, are you ticklish? Why, yes, a little. Why? Oh, my goodness. Maybe I am just a silly girl, but I can hardly wait till my butler frisks you when he helps you into your overcoat. Great gal, Uppy, but I'm afraid she left finishing school before she was quite finished. <laughs> now, let's see. Oh, yeah. Hey, Harpo, wait here for me. I'm going over to laundry and get my other shirt. Uh-oh. Say, look at the old man walking by in the white gown and the long beard, carrying the big sigh. Hello, Father. Hello there, son. You get it, folks? A little symbolical device to denote the passing of time. <laughs> now we're at the laundry. <laughs> Hi, Gooey Fooey. You got my shirt ready yet? I right, want your name, please. Uh, McGee, Trevor McGee. Lose him button off of this shirty. Want other shirty. Need him bad, you savvy? Oh, yes, you savvy, really good. Uh, Mr. Needham, want bad shirty. <laughs> I ain't Mr. Needham, I'm Mr. McGee. And I don't want a bad shirt, I want my shirt bad. I mean, good. I want my oh, shirt. Oh, my holy lady, you talk too much. That's a very confusing. What kind of shirt are you bring in? A nice silk shirt. I got it for Christmas. All right. You come along in this way, please. Looky, silk shirty department. Hey. Hey, 
that was my shirt he was tearing up. Uh-huh, that's a really solid. You know, get his shirt in back. Make the silliest mistake of bring Japanese silk to Chinese laundry. Ha, 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 yeah. Oh, my tomahawk, Lily. That's goodbye now. <laughs> that's that. Now I ain't even got another shirt. When I think of the trouble, a little thing like a shirt button can cause a hi, problem. Hi, Miss McGee, prisoner. What are you talking about? Oh, hi, Phil. There's a button off of my shirt collar, and I can't seem to get one sewed on. You know where I can buy a shirt around here, Phil? Yes, there's a real risky men's store down the street, please. Oh, thanks, Phil. Where were you going? I'm going down to the museum. Oh. Yeah, I'm working down there. Oh, well, that ought to be both amusing and instructive. What do you do, Phil? Well, I carry bones from one room to the other, please. Mm-hmm. They're building a skeleton of a dining car or something. <laughs> You mean a dinosaur? Yes, is that what it is? Mm-hmm. They got some boys twenty feet long and they're beating scurpies. This is the first time I ever did roll the bones for regular salary. <laughs> hey, what you got there, Phil? A bottle of beer? I thought you didn't drink beer. But well, it ain't for me, please, this is for one of the men down at the museum. Oh, I see. Rosebud, she won't let me drink no beer. Oh. Rosebud, that's my gal. <laughs> well, good for Rosebud. Keep you on the wagon, eh? Yes, sir, she sure do. Well, that's fine. Yes, sir, that's what I think, too, Miss McGee. She's perfectly right, bud. It's just like she says, for you, sir. If an hour goes around drinking that nasty old beer every day in a week, how are we going to have enough money left on Saturday night to buy gin? Well, so long, <laughs> Okay, Phil, I'll see. Oh, yes, the haberdashery. I hope they got a shirt that'll fit me. Oh, boy, what a store. Pretty fancy. Hey, clerk, sell me a shirt, will you? Why, certainly, sir. Uh, something like that uh, creation you're wearing? Oh, why not? What's the matter with it? Uh, those holes burned in the bosom, sir. You smoke a pipe, I take it. <laughs> no, but I got a battleship tattooed on my chest, and every time a flag goes by, it fires a salute. <laughs> Really, sir? <laughs> the recoil must be terrific. <laughs> uh, by the way, sir, uh, when you selected a shirt, may I show you something nice in a bathing suit? Oh, certainly. A friend of yours? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <clears throat> About the shirt, sir. Oh, yes. How much is this one here? Oh, that sells for $16, sir. Let's see, how much is that a piece? Let's see, 12 and a 16 goes one. Oh, no, no, that's not the per dozen, sir. Uh, $16 per shirt. 16 bucks for one shirt? Oh, now, listen, Cy. Ain't you got something for about 69 cents? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, sir. Uh, this $16 shirt is our cheapest. And we just carry that for the transient trade. <laughs> sort of a novelty, you know. Yeah, it would be a novelty for me to own one of them. But I ain't gonna pay no... Hey, wait a minute. Does that price include a monogram on the sleeve? If it does, I'll order a dozen. Oh, yes, sir. Three letters or two letters? Three letters. An F and an N. And the uh, third letter, sir? That's the letter I'm gonna send you in the morning, canceling the order. <laughs> Good day, Bob. <laughs> Imagine that. Sixteen bucks for a shirt. I'd have to buy a jewel case to keep the ravelings in. All the dead red... Hello there, Fibber. Oh, hi, Don. Say, excuse me for mentioning it, Fibber. Huh? But that button is off your shirt collar again. <laughs> it ain't off again, Don. It's off still. Yes. Incidentally, uh, how do you feel, Don? All, all right? Oh, yes. Don't worry about me. I- I'm all right. Well, we want you to take it easy from now on, you know. <laughs> Have you got some song, Don, that don't, uh, 
Don't sap your strength too much. How about thanks for everything? Okay, but just one verse in a chorus now. Don't overdo. There's nothing in the world I wouldn't do to be worthy of you. For any time that I am ever blue, you come smiling through. You're my sunny day, you're my only inspiration. Here's all that I can say to show you my Taking the skies of gray and making them blue. For taking my cares away, I tip my heart to you. For thanks for everything, every thrill in your tender caress. Thanks to you alone. Everything beautifully sung by Donald Novus was what I consider more than adequate accompaniment by Billy Mills Orchestra. Don't you consider it more than adequate, Harpo? Yes, I do, Fibber. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it was almost very superior. Oh, at least almost very superior. Well, I would certainly say it was... I hope that's somebody with an extra shirt. Come in. Uh, Mr. McGee. You betcha, sis. What can I do for you? Well, we were listening to your program coming downtown in our car, and halfway down here, our radio went on the brum. Would you mind starting over? <laughs> I don't know, sis. I don't believe we got time for that. What was the last thing you heard? Why, when uh, some old man came in and said, that is the way I heard it, <laughs> then the radio went blue. Well, I guess we can repeat that part for you. Hey, old timer. Hey! <laughs> you mind repeating that wheeze of yours for a lady? You know, the one about the Kaiser? Never repeat them, Johnny. But here's one I heard coming down in my car this morning. I had the radio on, and one fellow says to the other fellow, See, says, I see by the paper where... That's so, says fellow fellow, but how did... I always thought it was a peanut stand. I thought that was a good one, Johnny. Yeah, but I didn't hear the middle part of it. Neither did I, daughter. Just at that time, I was going under a viaduct.
Well, <laughs> oh, that's a fine way to antagonize our customers. You might at least, at least... Phew! <laughs> Say, Fibber, you're catching cold. Yeah. You've got to get a button on that shirt or else wear a scarf. No, sir, I know what I'm going to do. Might be a little radical, but I'm tired of trying to get a button on this shirt. Well, what are you going to do? Well, you'll find out. You get Billy and Don Novus and Mrs. Uppington and Tilly Watson. Well, and... hello there, Peter. What is this goose I'm hearing about you losing a shirt off your top button? <laughs> Yeah, that's right, Nick. How'd you hear about it? Oh, I over-listened to a couple of people discussing it downtown while I was in the courthouse. In the courthouse? What you doing there in the courthouse, Nick? I'm a wet nurse, Fisher. A uh, what? A wet nurse. I'm a wet nurse in a little legal controversy. A wet nurse. A wet nurse. Oh, you mean a witness. Sure, a wet nurse. <laughs> a friend of mine, Andreas Andy Gregorius, is getting a kick in the bleaches of promise by a cupie who is having a broken heart for $50,000. <laughs> for $50,000, they can break my heart into a jigsaw puzzle, I'm thinking. <laughs> Me too, but your pal was probably indiscreet. That is a situation in a nutpick, Peter. Of course, my friend Andreas can afford to make a sediment out of cork, but what is burning him up is all the fleas. Fleas? Sure, cork fleas, attorney's fleas. <laughs> That's fleas, Nick. There's no L in it. Is that so? Well, from what I'm sitting on the stand as a wet nurse, there was being plenty of hell in it, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm being very glad I'm a happily married man, so I'm not being prosecuted by a cute kid from a chorus who is only knowing two notes of music, me and Joe. <laughs> well, that'll probably teach, your guy, teach that guy a lesson anyway, huh? Fisher, you said it with a mouthful that time. As, sure I'm, as I'm saying to my friend Andreas, Andreas, I'm saying, when you are telling a female I love you, that's awfully duckly. But the minute the man is writing your same thing in a letter, the mail is in the bag. So long. <laughs> you think after what them Greeks learned at Troy, they wouldn't horse around so much. Hey, Hartwell, is everybody here? Yes, I think so. Mrs. Uppington, Don Nova, yes. Billy, yes. old timer, uh, Billy Watson, yeah. Nick DePoplin. Uh, now listen, folks. Sit down and listen to me. Now then, you know what a time I've been having with the button off my shirt. Nobody's got a needle and thread, and I can't borrow a shirt or buy a shirt. And I'm going to do something about it. I want you all to go home and pack your trunks and meet me at the Union Station tomorrow morning. What are you going to do? I'm going to move this show to Hollywood where a guy can go around with his shirt collar open. I won't be the only one out there who hasn't got all his buttons. <laughs> in just a moment. But right now, I'd like to say that no matter what type home you live in, a tiny apartment, a beautiful mansion, or a small cottage, your floors will be much easier to care for, much cleaner, and more sanitary if they're protected with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. Dust and dirt simply can't stick to the beautiful polished surface. Filled food can be quickly wiped away. If you want your floors always to have a bright, spick-and-span look that will attract the admiration of everyone, just let Johnson's self-polishing glow coat polish your floors for you. Glow coat works like magic. Quickly giving your painted and varnished wood floors as well as your linoleum a wonderful shining polish without rubbing or buffing. Remember, it never pays to buy a cheap inferior polish that streaks or smears. For real economy, insist on one of the Johnson wax products. The fine, dependable products 
that give greater beauty, longer wear. Folks, speaking of our moving to Hollywood, I'd just like to say this. It's easy for us to move into the sunshine, but if you'd like to move some sunshine into the lives of ill and crippled children, send 10 cents to President Roosevelt in Washington to help the fight on infantile paralysis. Remember, it's your dimes that will put a silver lining on the dark cloud of a dread disease. So join the March of Dimes. Thank you, and good night, folks. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Heard tonight on this program were thanks for everything from the production of the same name, and this is it from Stars in Your Eyes. Here's news about a wonderful new product, Blem, B-L-E-M, that safely removes blemishes, white rings, and ugly marks from your tables and other furniture. For a limited time, you can get a full-size tube of Blem free with your purchase of a 39-cent bottle of Johnson's Furniture Polish. Remember, Blem may save you the expense of costly refinishing. Buy Johnson's Furniture Polish tomorrow and get your free tube of Johnson's Blem. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Fibber McGee and Molly, a collaboration between on-air voices Jim and Marion Jordan and writer Don Quinn, was first broadcast on NBC Blue on April 16, 1935, sponsored by Johnson's Wax. Fibber's early persona as a teller of tall tales eventually evolved into that of a lovable blunderer. His frequently clever and occasionally well-intentioned acts consistently ended in disastrous results, much like the character later developed by Lucille Ball. Marion's Molly was the epitome of a long-suffering wife. The show grew out of an earlier program called Smack Out, developed by the Jordans, broadcast from Chicago in the early 1930s. By 1941, the original amateurish, amateurish broadcast had attained a professionalism and polish that allowed it to surpass those of Jack Benny and Bob Hope in popularity. The weekly half-hour feature lasted until 1953, when it was truncated into a 15-minute show, then it dreamt eventually dropped by the radio network in the late 1950s. Fibber, McGee, and Molly included a number of colorful characters and situations that provided catchphrases for the time and still resonate in American memory, including Harold Peary's Gildersleeve, which spun off into The Great Gildersleeve in 1941, and of course Fibber, McGee's closet, precariously crammed with an improbable assortment of junk. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.